Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started on the we ain't gonna stop. Oh, she made me feel like a god. That's when it got wheels off. Danny Clinch, rock photographer extraordinaire. He's probably the greatest living rock photographer. I would like for someone to convince me otherwise. Actually, I wouldn't. I, I believe what I believe, and I don't know if anybody could convince me otherwise. The sheer volume of photography that he's done in the music world over the last 30 years is staggering. And then you factor in the scope of that, the different genres, the different eras, the different geographical locations, the different styles. It's it, He does it all, and he does it all so well. I was lucky enough with the old 97s to work with Danny a handful of times over the years, and it's the best. He's the best. And the thoughtfulness with which he approaches his craft and the down-to-earth nature of him as a person and as an artist, as a craftsman, makes him pretty much the perfect guest for Wheels Off. I know you're going to love this interview. I certainly loved getting to catch up with an old friend. I will tell you there um, was one uh, minor issue with the sound where he was on his laptop and he had the uh, audio alerts set up for whenever he would get a text or an email or whatever. So throughout the interview, you'll hear Bing! as he's getting alerts on his computer. I did not stop down the interview to ask him to turn off the alerts. I am learning from that probably moving forward. I will ask people about that right before we start. I'll try and remember to ask them to turn those off. But Whatever. We all live in a world of constant pinging and beeps and robot overlords and the, and the like. I think you guys can handle it. It's certainly worth powering through that to hear this conversation because Danny Clinch is a font of wisdom, fantastic information, great stories, very sweet man, wildly talented. I'm really glad to share him with you. Here on Wheels Off, please welcome Danny Clinch. Welcome to Wheels Off, Danny Clinch. Thank you so much for joining me. It's great to see you. I am happy to be here. Uh, for the edification of our listeners, from where are you joining? I am joining from New Jersey on the shore. Nice, the Jersey Shore. Yeah. That's great. Um, that's so sweet, man. What, what, what creative project are you working on at the moment, and how does it light you up? Hmm. Well, um, I'm working on a lot. Uh, I still am just the biggest music fan. 
Uh, so I am always out um, trying to document uh, that music and the people that I love. I was fortunate enough to go to the Newport Folk Festival this past weekend. And I'm friends with Brandy Carlisle. I'm friends with Nathaniel Rateliff. They both did incredible sets there. Nathaniel with Paul Simon uh, and did a bunch of Paul Simon songs. I got to see the rehearsals. I got to see how all that went, which was incredible for a creative person to see how other creative people are. You know, like Paul was very succinct at what he wanted and knew his music very well and was like, being very pointed with everyone about it and at the end of the session he said now you guys know what's important to me have a great time and play the music and just have a great time you know i was just like wow it's incredible and then brandy did the uh um joni mitchell trip uh, not even a tribute i mean yeah it was a tribute but she was there and uh for the first time in who knows like 25 years since he's you know done anything uh, um, in public and that was very moving and really lovely and I know that Brandy is a big champion of Joni and vice versa and I think also that um, you know it meant a lot to Brandy to to share Joni's music uh, with a younger audience as well as those who know Joni's music to say how important it is to her in her life and and uh, and that so so that's cool and the other thing that jumps out at me, aside from the fact that um, I've been digging through my archive, um, uh, I have a gallery in Asbury Park um, called the Transparent Clinch Gallery. It's a great space. We have uh, live music there. Uh, we have the gallery of, of my photography, of musicians that I've photographed over the years from the Tupac and early hip hop stuff I did with Nas and I did the first Kanye record. I did Nas first record. I did the old Dirty Bastard record, Big L, Lifestyles of the Poor and Dangerous, and a lot of hip hop uh, through uh, my work with uh, Bruce Springsteen and Pearl Jam and uh, yourself, old 97s and uh, certainly Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash. So it's like one of the things I'm most proud of in my work is the versatility that I, you know, and diversity that I've gotten. Uh, Patti Smith, Bjork, uh, you know, Florence and the, and the Machine. So it's just really been, it's been a real blessing to me as a music fan. You know, I still get equally as excited uh, to talk about these artists and the people that I've come to actually to know some of them pretty well. And it's really exciting. Um, so that's been keeping me really busy. And, and, and also it's interesting to, to have a, um, we kind of now have a, a store basically, you know, it's a gallery. Um, the, uh, my wife Maria and I um, sort of, you know, partnered up on pulling this thing together. And, and uh, it was supposed to be a pop-up for, uh, for, for three months. And we um, had a friend named Tina Karekis who now runs the gallery. And she had a mid-century modern, really cool uh, shop on the boardwalk. She sold art and furniture. And, and I, uh, I gave her some of my photography uh, to, to, you know, to, as a gallery. And uh, when we got the chance to do the gallery, we, we hit her up and said, you know, uh, would you like to run it? Uh, because her lease was coming up and we said look just for a couple months bring your furniture in you know so we will just you know we'll just have a good time we'll throw a party and we'll have this gallery and um, and it just turned into such a great thing that five years later we decided with the help of uh, something called the pandemic <laughs> to, <laughs> to bust a move to Asbury Park full-time so 
Uh, we're down there. We moved the whole business down there, and uh, it's been really exciting. Um, so that whole idea of building the archive in, in, in terms of creativity, um, marketing the gallery and coming up with ideas and like rebranding it and working with a company called Preacher out of Austin, Texas, who is a great uh, creative agency. They helped us uh, do our rebranding um, for our swag and for our, um, you know, our little icons and, and things like that, that we do t-shirts and things. And uh, that was really fun. And then getting the word out, spreading the word through social media, just through um, the people who come through Asbury Park, who are obviously a lot of Bruce Springsteen fans come through. And it's like Pearl Jam fans and Fish and you know Foo Fighters and Patti Smith. And they, they come through and they like, they they if they love the space, which most do, they take a little bit of away with them and, and plant the seeds elsewhere so other people can can uh, know about it. And, and so that's been fun. Um, and uh, so the other thing I've been doing um, is I was, there's a lot of this revolves around Asbury Park, which is pretty cool. And I have had my third cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm riffing hard here. I so appreciate it. One second. <sighs> Got my little kitty cat. Love that. Coffee mug. Um, but I've been working on this project that's that's really cool because there's no there's nothing it's all about doing it for the art like there's no you know finances involved there's no deadline involved like how cool is that right yeah so a friend of mine who lives in Asbury Park uh, a guy named Jim Watt is uh, he's an entrepreneur he's an architect he is a an artist. And he had been doing these abstract uh, paintings and we got to know each other through a mutual friend. And I would stop by his studio all the time and, and just he just really inspired me. And at a certain point, um, he also was helping me uh, paint on top of my photographs. I'd bring in like large photographs of mine and I'd just paint over top of them. Maybe I would write lyrics on them, but it'd be all, you know, photographs of musicians. And so I was doing that for a while and that was really fun. And he, um, so then the pandemic comes around and he started to do these um, uh, little shows called Jazz at the Shop. And he would, um, he brought his buddy down, um, Antoine. I got, I got to find out what Antoine's name is just because I don't want to screw this up. <laughs> Mario, do you know Antoine's last name? Oh, I, lost, I lost my wife. Oh, no. Uh, so we can edit this, right? Sure. <laughs> sure. Is, is, that your, your, is that your kitchen that you're in right now? I am in, yeah, this is our... Uh, breakfast nook kind of? Our little breakfast nook kind of thing. It's really and sweet. This is our kitchen. and uh, God, I would expect nothing less that it would be so beautiful and well put together. You. Nice yeah, pad. My wife has great style. <laughs> and... Uh, and so I've got a couple of my photographs up here, but mostly, mostly it's not. Um, so I should know Antoine's name. Um, I'll only stall on this for a minute, and then I'll just keep moving. Now, Antoine is somebody that works with... He, Antoine is a jazz musician. Oh, okay. And he's a trumpet player. And... Uh, um, is he in Asbury Park? He... He isn't. He lives in New York, 
Um, and I'm going to find him momentarily. And I'll, okay, here we go. Um, um, Antoine Dry. Antoine Dry. You're the Jazz, man. Jazz at the shop. Jazz at the shop. Okay. So my friend, uh, um, Jim Watt puts on these, started to put on these shows during the pandemic. And he is friends with a, a trumpet player from New York, jazz, like like a really top-notch guy who plays um, all over the world, uh, Antoine Dry, uh, on trumpet. And he asked him to bring some of his friends down. Now, this is during the pandemic. And in the parking lot of his studio, he put on these shows, great players. He'd get a bass player, a keyboard player, but percussion, uh, sax, you know, and he'd just bring his friends down and every every other week he was doing these jazz at the shop, which was lovely because everybody was going stir crazy. We we're all hanging out outside with masks on, you know, social distance. Everybody would bring their chair, they'd bring their own wine, and we would just sit and have a night of jazz. And it was incredible. And so throughout the uh, the project, he came up with this idea and he said, um, uh, asked me if I wanted to be involved. And the idea was that he would paint these sort of Japanese black ink uh, wash type paintings and would project them. So we would set up a, a, a projector and he would be painting while projecting onto a big screen while Antoine and his pals were watching the painting and being inspired by that painting, they would start to play music. Dude. And so he's painting, they're playing music, he's listening to the music, he's painting to the, they're influencing each other, and I'm filming the whole process. And so uh, it, the process is called, uh, or the film is called uh, 1000 Watts. And so he's doing a thousand paintings, and he's selling them, uh, and he is, um, you know, giving the money to jazz musicians who really suffered throughout the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, he's been doing it for a while. It's been a long process and we've been, he's been selling the paintings already for many months and giving the money to some of these musicians along the way. And uh, uh, we have an editor uh, named Colin Guyberson who is, um, is bringing a lot to the table as well. And we're just like, we're just guiding each other and it's just become this really great collaboration of people uh, with no rules really, just you know, working together. And I'm super excited about it because we sat down, we had like a, almost a fine cut uh, the other day and there's just a couple of changes we're making on it and I'm like, I'm stoked to see it. And then we're gonna roll it out and I think what's gonna end up happening is they'll get some of these musicians together, we'll have a screening and we'll let them play along to how, you know, however <laughs> they want, you know. <laughs> It's really beautiful. There's no real story involved. It's more about feeling and emotions and visual and audio sensory, like loveliness. God, that sounds so beautiful. And I love the idea of like wildly talented people working in different disciplines, simultaneously fueling each other. And then you have an audience there as well, which is a whole other source of energy. That's so cool. And I would expect nothing less of you. I feel like of all the really artistic people I know, you are 
as driven as anyone like you have such a big engine you always have so and not even in like a gross ambition way but just you want to make you always want to be working and making i love that about you yeah, yeah. thank you do you do you shut it down much do you do you take many breaks you know i i try but it's very hard for me it really <laughs> is it really is and I, the, the thing is is i can i'm consumed with trying to do less and i and it's hard for me um it's hard for me to do it and i try and uh i think the pandemic had a big influence on what's important to me you know of what i've realized and what i what i realized i was missing by being so busy all the time so some of those things have have uh have to help me kind of slow it down a little bit and i guess because i'm getting older too it's like you know you just get to the point where you're like okay i've done that before and i don't need to do it again it's funny because so much of your job is on location right you have to fly around with your with your crew and go shoot somebody or an event or whatever you, you probably were gone a lot over the last 30 years i would guess yeah i was yeah absolutely it's tough and and i've having you know having spent a little time around your kids i can tell they've grown up loving you and feeling close to you so i don't it doesn't seem like you've sacrificed much in terms of closeness and love with them but boy it's got it's got a it's got to feel good to be able to be home a little bit more now right it, it feels great yeah yeah it absolutely does it feels great to be around them and spend time in fact uh we did um we did uh all go out to dinner the other day uh, in Asbury Park at our favorite sushi spot out there, Taka. Have you been there? Uh, I don't think I've been to Taka, but I would love that. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. pretty cool. Have, have you? When was the last time you've been to Asbury Park? Well, you know, I took uh, my daughter in to see Phoebe Bridgers. That's right, which, Phoebe which, Bridgers. I wish I had. I wish I had thought to to wrangle you during that, but I was already wrangling like six sixteen year old girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that's uh, that's rough. But you know, it was interesting because I, um, my my um, Tina, who runs the gallery, had said to me, um, "Have you seen the line outside of the Stone Pony?" And I was like, "No, but I'm on my way up. I'll check it out." Right. So I drop in, and I look, and I'm like, "Holy cow!" And she's like, "Yeah, the, the girls were here last night, like mid at midnight. Yeah, lining Ooh. up for Phoebe Bridgers." So I'm wandering around outside taking photographs and I'm going around the uh, the horn there and I come around and um, and I run into um, someone who's got a camera on, you know, and he's like, hey, oh, you're Danny Clinch. And I was like, yeah. And he says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in Phoebe's I'm in Phoebe Bridger's band. Nice. And um, his father is. Um, Oh, man, I'm just terrible at names. It's so <laughs> His father's an Aerosmith, first of all. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So, uh, Whitman, right? Yeah. Who, oh, yeah, the guitarist. Yeah. For, yeah, he's for, uh, he's great. What, what's his name, you know? Um, um. Oh, man, this is now there's two of us doing it. Um, <laughs> We're just going to have to edit, that's all. I know. Uh, that's so funny. He's such a nice guy. It was and so so cool. Uh, it's a Whitfield. What 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 is the uh, Aerosmith? Uh... Um, Harrison Whitford. Harrison Whitford. He's from. It's funny. Uh, I I interviewed um, 
uh, Taylor from Dawes the other day, and he was telling me how Phoebe came up with a new term for all of their crew in Pasadena, Pasadangerous. (laughs) Harrison is part of that crew. Oh, yeah. So uh, I was walking around the, um, you know, the line taking photographs, and I run into this other guy who's got a camera, and it's Harrison Whitford, who is um, Phoebe's guitar player. And we start talking about photography and uh, and that, and his father is an Aerosmith, right? And so I invited him to the gallery because there was like three hours till their show. And we wandered over to the gallery and he was just like, oh, this is fantastic. And we had a great hang. And so he invited me t- to photograph and said, yeah, come on and hang. And, uh, and I had captured a really cool photo of Phoebe Bridgers, um, Brandy Carlisle, uh, Phoebe Bridgers, Brandy Carlisle, um, Mavis Staples. I was gonna say Mavis. Yeah. I had a feeling. Nice. And um, oh my god. Anyway, you have met a lot of people. I have in I in your defense. His names. I should not forget <laughs> his names. And um, it was it was incredible. Anyway, and uh, uh, and and so I saw her uh, before she went on, and all her all her band was dressed in their skeleton outfits. And oh yeah. And, uh, and she was she was looking really sharp. So anyway, and her fans were just incredible. Where were you at? Where were you watching the show from? Um, back by the uh, proper um, vi- the old the venue. You know, I was kind of up on that little back deck. I was mm-hmm. where, where the old people hang out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. It was really moving and beautiful. I gotta say, it's there's something about live music, and I haven't gotten to see much of it in the last like most people in the last few years. Yeah. Um, it's funny earlier you brought up that Joni Mitchell moment where Brandy brought up Joni at Newport, which I've never been to Newport. Um, but uh, someday it's on my list to play and or go. But that Joni Mitchell singing both sides now at Newport, even just watching the video of that on my stupid little phone, I got so choked up, just tears. It was yeah, just that many years. Somebody, a life in music like that is just... It's incredible. It's incredibly moving. It must have been great to see that in person. It really was. And everybody was tearing up. Mm-hmm. Like I took a photo of the front row and these women were just tears streaming down their face. And then my buddy Cap, who works at Newport, he's a big guy. And he's like, he's sitting down. He came in and he wanted to catch some of the show. And and I look over and he's just crying. Aww. <laughs> I said, I got blackmail on you, buddy. <laughs> it was so sweet. So, Danny, I met you 25 years ago yep. and when you f- photographed us for our first record. It was our first real photo shoot. And um, I didn't realize that we were starting off with the best. You know how that is. It, but it was so much fun working with you then. And you um, you make it so natural that it seems like this is something you've done your whole life. I wonder about like when you were first starting, because uh, it seemed like you knew early on that you were going to be a photographer specifically. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, do you remember the moment that clicked, as it were, for you? Do you remember, was there an epiphany moment? Yeah, there was a couple of moments for me. When I was a kid, my mom was always photographing. She was a snapshot queen, just photographing all the time. Um, I loved art and drawing and I used to draw all the time and paint and whatever. And I remember um, winning a camera at a church function and uh, and buying a camera at, at like a garage sale on our block and wanting to take photos. And I found out later that 
both my grandfather on my mom's side and my grandfather on my dad's side both loved taking photographs. And so it seemed natural. And, there was, and my dad specifically had a very artful side to his family. And um, I, I decided to, uh, I decided to take visual communications um, in college. My first, I went to, uh, I'll start over. I went to a community college and decided to take their visual communications class and uh, and see how I did. There was photography there, dark room, two-dimensional design, all that stuff. And I, I started to photograph and get assignments from there. And there was a there was a couple of good photographers in there. And I wanted to see how I would do, you know, against those people. Not that it's a competition, but for myself to see if I had any chops and how I felt about my photography. And I felt like I really was doing well and I really loved it. And there was a moment we had an assignment and of course I was photographing my family. And my um, my sister had had uh, kids and I took a photograph of my, my nephews, my two nephews who were like maybe six and seven at the time. And they were holding their, their sister who was a newborn and um, and it was just the moment of the photograph was really interesting. It was very simple. The light was beautiful. And you could see my mom had a polka dotted blouse on and all you could see was her arm in there holding up the kid in case the kids were, were going to drop him, you know. And so it was that little surprise that and this little story going on in the in the photograph that made me feel like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. You know, it's like I like this. There's a story. It appears simple, but there's something else going on in there. And it's all visual storytelling, right? And it's the same with songwriting for you, right? You're telling a story, and uh, and it just really, it really moved me. And I'm I'm really, I come from a documentary sort of background, and the in the photographers that I immediately or initially gravitated towards were Danny Lyon and Robert Frank and people who are doing documentary photography, um, and then came Irving Penn and Avedon and people like that and Annie Leibovitz, who I ended up working for as an assistant. Um, so, you know, I just, uh, I just really, I really thought that that was a moment for me where I was like, oh, I could see where this is going. Um, and then when I, when I went to, uh, I went to New England School of Photography up in Boston, and the, the, my journalism teacher said, you know, I want you to, this, your assignment for this particular semester is to create a photo essay. Choose what you want to do and how you want to do it. And I thought to myself, well, I really want to find like a rock band in town and photograph them and see, you know, create a body of work there. But she's probably not going to think that that's, you know, good journalism. I just thought that she was going to be like rock and roll. No, I don't think so, you know. And then when I went to her, I said, "Well, this is what I want to do. I'm gonna. I've been photographing this band. They were called Rick Berlin the Movie, and they were like a Talking Heads kind of vibe, and uh, and really a great band, a big band, very colorful, very flamboyant, like a lot of cool shit going on. And so I said, um, you know, this is what I want to do. And she was like, Oh, I love that that idea. This is I I, I and it turned out she was the music photographer for the Boston Globe. No. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and she was um, really into it. And so that was another moment for me that was really important. 
Um, and then I, I did get to work for Annie Leibovitz as an assistant. I went to a workshop that she was that she was giving, and uh, she happened to be looking for an intern, so I started interning there. Wow! And I met a lot of fr uh, friends there, people who are still my f really good friends today. And uh, one of them was a, a woman named Elizabeth Grubar, and she um, was uh, one of the photo editors, became one of the photo editors at Spin Magazine. And I got my first sort of big assignment. Um, for a major magazine through her, and it was photographing Third Base, the hip hop group, right? Yeah. And it was probably 92 or something like that. And I was like, well, if I can nail this assignment and see it in the magazine and feel like that I can hold my own, by, you know, uh, then I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm going all in on this madness. And, and I did, and I shot it, and it went really well. And I got some really nice photographs and that ran in the magazine and they look good. And then funny enough, shortly thereafter, um, uh, MC Search, who was in the band, Third Base, um, hit me up and said, I just signed this new artist to Sony Records and your style of photography is like, is really what I think he needs for this album. And he hands me this, he goes, you, are you interested in the project? I said, sure. So we met up and he handed me a, a cassette tape of Nasty Nas, Illmatic. And, and wow. I ended up shooting that album packaging. And little did we know that it would still be one of the top hip hop records of all time, even 30 years later, you know. God, I, I love the little um, moments of kismet or whatever, like winning a church uh, whatever raffle and getting a camera from the church and, you know, having this teacher who wound up being the rock, the music photographer for Boston Globe. It's yeah. the, those little moments. It's like the universe is nudging you in the right direction. Yeah. Is that yeah. what it, that's what it yeah. felt like, I would assume. It, it does. And it's funny because like, I don't really, I'm not a great planner, you know, but I will, I will jump in with both feet, like, and go for it. Yeah, you know, and uh, my wife Maria, who I've known since high school, she's like a really big planner, mm -hmm. and and which is great. And so we really balance each other out nicely. Um, and so, you know, sometimes she can rein me in when I need to be, and sometimes I can help her stretch it out when she needs to be. So. I wonder sometimes, uh, as much as sometimes the universe seems to be like pushing you in the right direction, maybe giving you a helping hand here and there. I also know that we all come up against um, interior stuff that's, that holds us back, you know, like self-generated obstacles, uh, negative voices in our heads. Um, and as much as I also imagine it's easy to imagine that you don't because you to me have always seemed very confident, very self-assured. You know, even I remember when we first were working together um, on Too Far to Care and then and later on Fight Songs, it was the Fight Songs photo shoot that we all decided that you were more of a rock star than anybody you <laughs> had ever photographed. Like you, you just, you, you carry yourself so well. You're so talented. It's, it's so obvious that your, your gift is just at it, at its peak and it's always going. But I imagine that like everyone else, you come up against stuff that makes it hard for you to keep going, to do your thing. Mm. And I wonder when you do, uh, what have you figured out to get through that? Mm. Um, was was that one at Kingsway, the second yeah. one? New Orleans, yeah. yeah. Dude, that was epic. That I have was to so say. fun. I did a, 
a, a handful of shoots at Kingsway, and it was one of my favorite places to photograph. And I'm glad that we shared that experience because that was pretty epic. Me we ended too. up in the pool, right? Yeah, in the pond. <laughs> <laughs> With the lily pads, I think we did a, a whole section of the of the shoot with with yeah. sh shirtless. We didn't use those. <laughs> you can let them out now, though. Uh, you're yeah, like, I look good. <laughs> For real. Oh man, um, you know that's a good question. What do I do to shake myself out of it? Is um, you know I just look at other art and listen to music and stuff. But I think that. Um, one of the things that had been bouncing around my head as you were asking me questions and, and these things popped into my mind was one was um, uh, the idea of starting to be comfortable directing people around because like, especially coming from like the, the document and loving the document and wanting to capture a moment like I, I always wanted to like, you know, here's your challenge, right? You have four guys and you want to photograph them all in the same frame and like Yes, there's a there's something very simple and elegant. You find some nice light and you create a nice composition with people and you capture it. But within that, you want I want to feel like there's the moment where everybody looks like they're engaged and they're really they're in the moment, right? So that was one thing that was I finally realized that whether it's somebody who's used to being photographed all the time like Bruce Springsteen where you know they still want to be directed. They still want to know that if they're leaning in this way, that it looks good, or should I lean that way, or should I look this way, or chin up, chin down, like simple directions like that. Um, and then even younger artists who are so nervous, you know, they certainly kind of want to be directed in a way. And to me, I want it to feel like we're hanging out and that I'm just giving you some good advice to help you look better. You know, and so that's kind of that's kind of what I'm looking for. And then the other thing that pops into my mind that I, I, I've talked about and I, I always think about, like maybe younger photographers that are maybe listening in on this thing where, you know, and you probably felt the same thing as you're becoming a songwriter and you're like you're trying to discover your style, like is what is my style? You know, what do, what am I going to how am I going to be recognizable? you know, as myself in my photography. And I realized that, like, I had a lot of influences from, you know, books and things like that, but I actually was on set with Annie Leibovitz and I was on set with Mary Ellen Mark and Stephen Mizell and, and Timothy White and a lot of, like, really, really great photographers. And I was trying to be Annie Leibovitz, you know, which I realized I never would be. And I finally, thought, you know, thought to myself, like, there became a moment where, I said, well, I, I like back then you had to choose where you're shooting uh, black and white, where you're shooting color. You know, it was like a choice you had to make at the time. And I liked shooting in black and white. And, and uh, so it's like, well, I liked using black and white film and I liked spontaneity. So I was using a smaller camera, like a little Nikon or a Pentax or whatever. And, and it was a lot of natural light so that I could stick and move and capture these moments. And I like rock and roll and I liked hip hop. I like music. So I'm photographing musicians. And I like, I didn't like a long lens where I was far away. I wanted a wider lens where I was like right in the mix with things. And once you let go of all the stuff that, that you don't like and you zero in on the stuff that you do like, that becomes your voice, right? It becomes your sort of your style. So if you like fashion and long lenses and flary light, 
then there's your style, right? And mine just happened to be more gritty rock and roll, black and white cars, motorcycles, rock and roll, you know. So would would you say that it has your style has evolved over the years, or would you say that it's just become more specific and concise, and you figured it out more as you go? I mean, I guess that's the same thing, I, but I would like to think that the second thing you said, in a way, but but it has evolved. I mean, there's a certain point where. When I did um, those, like the portrait of Tupac, that I that I is one of my more well-known photographs. It's very much a portrait on a backdrop, influenced by like Irving Penn, uh, very simple North Light. Um, I'm being technical here, but his style. He did a whole series of things on a backdrop that were natural light, uh, very uh, directional but very soft light. And he did one series called The World in a Small Room, which he took his little natural light portrait studio around the world and photographed indigenous people and all sorts of interesting uh, people. And I love that series and it's a huge influence on me. And so at a certain point, I slowed down and I didn't, I wasn't doing a lot of the quick sort of things, or I was doing a little bit of that, but I was then doing these portraits where I had a camera that was on a tripod and you put the little fabric over your head and you got to focus it and everybody's got to stay still and don't move and that kind of thing, which is a whole different way of directing people. Um, so it went into my love of the document to my love of portraiture and then just evolving the two as I went and I've gone along the way. And so things have changed for me. I still like to work fast and I, I don't like wasting people's time. I don't like being like, some people are very, are very, it's very important to them to just not be interrupted, to be very methodical and very slow and make sure the lighting is just absolutely perfect. And I am not that person. I'm like, let's move this thing, let's keep going. Oh, the lighting's not perfect, but the person is ready and they look great and what they're wearing is good and their mood is good. So I'm not gonna kill the mood by spending another 30 minutes setting this lighting up, you know? Like that's how, that's how I work. Usually I get there early enough so I am prepared, so I got the sweet light and the sweet moment. Uh, but, but that's the type of thing where I like to, uh, you know, I like to be moving, moving around. But I think to answer your question, the idea of, of, um, of sort of just being able to get there sooner, you know, to get to the sweet spot sooner is what I've been able to do over the years. It's like, I know what I like. And, and I also started to, there was a little shift in my lighting where I was lighting a lot of things with a strobe, uh, which sometimes you need to for something specific, but I started to move away from that. And I'm also a director. So I've lit and I've filmed a lot of people for moving image things, be it music videos or documentaries or concert films. And I learned a lot from that stuff. And I like having the opportunity to light something as if I was shooting a like a moving image type thing. So I can dance around and shoot into the light for a silhouette or against the light for this or turn this way because maybe a softer light looks good for someone and be able to sort of, it gives me a lot of uh, more diversity in the shoot and flexibility. It seems like you're building in room for spontaneity. Yeah. I love that. Well, it, it's funny because having worked with you, my impression of what you're doing, it's almost like you, well, it's very much like you're an artist, but it's almost like you're a musician. It's like a collaboration between you and the subject. Yes. And I play music too. So I know and, you're a great harmonica player. Yeah, it's been a real blessing for me. Uh, and one of the great joys of my life is to be able to play uh, along with some of my friends and just, it's really incredible.
really is. That's so cool. I feel like this, there's so much gold just in, in everything that you've told me so far. I wonder if you'd be willing to try and um, give me to distill this wisdom a little bit. Imagine there's a 21-year-old version of you in today's world. Mm-hmm. What, what advice might you give 21-year-old Danny Clinch? Um, you know, I feel like part of that answer came in the earlier part of like trying to not work so hard at your style, like trying to be something you're not. It's like, just relax a little bit and let, let those things happen for you. Let them, you know what you like and you know how you like to photograph, like let that be your style and don't worry about it so much. And there is something like, you know, a lot of times, you know, I would be looking around as a young photographer and going like, why am I not doing that? I could do that. It's like, it's just I'm white, you know, it's like, it's a white seamless and it's a beautiful model, you know? And like, so why am I not doing that? Well, <laughs> I'm not doing that because that's not really what my passion is. Could I do it? Absolutely. And I would crush it because it's a beautiful girl on a white, on a white seamless, you know? <laughs> but it's like, that's not really where I wanted to spend my time. You know, I wanted to spend my time with musicians and, you know, experiencing something really moving. And that, not to say that that can't be a moving experience for someone, it just wasn't for me, you know? And so I just, you gotta just determine what, what it is you wanna do. But the beauty of photography is that, you know, no matter what you're into, there's a spot for you. And if you can make that your spot, like you're the go-to guy to photograph, you know, Formula One racing, you know, like be that guy. You know, if you're the woman who wants to photograph like beautiful red lips and, you know, great makeup, um, do that. You know, if you're the gal that wants to photograph dirt track racing, do that. You know, I I don't know. It's like whatever it is, I see people like create their little niche where they get in and they're doing something that they love. And um, and it's um, it's great to see that they've discovered like, oh, wow, this is like this is my passion and I'm able to do it through photography and and make a living doing it and really love what I do. Do you think there are a lot of people that make choices to go down a certain road in photography specifically because they think that's where the money is and it would, and they wind up being less fulfilled? I mean, I think so. I think that's part of also what I was saying about the white seamless thing and working on white seamless. It's just an example. (laughs) Um, Cause I like that as well, but uh, yeah, you know, you, you go down that road because you think you can make some money doing it. And then you, you just end up getting hired for that over and over again. And then you're like, oh, geez, like, I, I didn't really even like this. I just wanted to do it because I was going to make some money. That's something that popped into my mind earlier when you were talking about the Tupac shot, just because that's just, I can't think of a more, actually, that's not true. I can think of a handful of more iconic images, most of which you shot, but that's such an iconic iconic image. I wonder when you have something that people love that means as much as that image does or some of the other ones that you've made, do you feel like that ever gets you stuck where you feel like, oh my God, I have to keep doing that specific exact thing. Mm. Does it, does that make, does that end up making its own problems? I wonder. It's like the band having a hit song. They try and do the hit song. Um, No, it actually, it might be the opposite that I stress out that I might be doing the same thing Ah. over again. But you know what? I, I do also feel that like my style of photography is about the moment and that moment with that person. 
So it doesn't really go out of style because you were there, you know, like I photographed Bruce Springsteen for, uh, it's, it's just the 20th anniversary of The Rising. Yeah. And I did the photography for The Rising. And I remember photographing him for the first time for an album cover. And I wasn't sure I was going to get the album cover, but I did this shoot with him. And it wasn't like ideal situation. I had to go down to, to Southern Tracks in, in Atlanta. And I had to wait for him to have a break. And then we I tried to find locations that were close by. And anyway, um, I, I tried to in my photography for the art director and the artist as well. Like I want to do something very simple and very portraity that can be great for publicity, but I want to take some chances so that something, something great might happen motion or pullback with atmosphere or, or super detail or something. And, uh, I ended up getting this photo of him. I just, I wanted just some motion in it and I slowed my shutter speed way down and he was moving. And then he he ended up um, using that for the cover. It's like a very motiony, very moody, almost dark sort of image. And I didn't realize, I was like, wow, first of all, wow, what a bold choice for Springsteen, right? And what I realized was that the the record was dark, you know? And I didn't know it at first. I might have heard the record once before I shot it and maybe a little in the studio, but I didn't really know what the whole thing was about. And, and it also was the, it was the beginning of knowing that Bruce often loves like some of the weirder multiple exposures or like soft, weird kind of stuff and chooses that stuff a lot. So that moment with him versus then 20 years later shooting, um, a letter to you, which was actually just a shoot we had done spontaneously in New York city while he was on Broadway. I invited him to to walk around the streets in New York City uh, because he was living in New York City at the time or spending a lot of time there. And I thought, we have to walk around the city while you're doing this. And then it snowed that day. And he showed up in the middle of a snowstorm and he was like, boy, I hope you got some ideas. He was like, snow was coming down. I was like, yeah, stand right there. <laughs> like I literally shot the photo and I could have went home, but we ended up spending like an hour in Central Park and got some great stuff. And I was inspired by like the great Avedon photograph of Bob Dylan standing in Central, in Central Park, right? Yeah. And we walked right over those same areas and I have photographs of him only in the snow in that mm. same spot so oh danny <laughs> also, God. so for young creatives you know what are the, what's the um the steel quote you know like great artists good artists borrow great artists steal yeah <laughs> uh, that's funny uh i love talking to you i feel like there needs to be some long interview of you done <laughs> that goes over weeks because i feel like your stories are profligate and i really appreciate you sitting down with me today yeah. Dude, Danny, thank you so much. I hope I get to see you in real life soon. I do too. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all.
Osiris. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. 